If you're taking notes, draw you a triangle. Yeah, it's behind. Okay, that's good. So these are the things that we've been talking about. I'll flip to, uh, we'll do it like this. So what's the very first initial act in regard to our salvation? What's the very first thing that goes right down here on the bottom? Yeah, that one doesn't even get on the, the triangle. It's so grand. Yeah. This is you personal. Well, we could still say that, right? So, but this is the first thing that we talked about as far as a timeline goes, okay? So what we're really trying to do is do something you really can't do, and that's construct a timeline. But at the same time, it is useful in us understanding all that's taken place through the atonement, right? Now, you could probably put this down here if you wanted to because you can see we're beginning to split hairs here uh, but the Bible speaks of both of these and so we know we realize in the mind of God they happen simultaneously but still we're, we're creating a timeline here so that we can understand every event that's taken place in our salvation. So what is the next thing that Cody dealt with last week. Y'all remember? Yeah, effectual call. And so this week we're on the subject of regeneration and my triangle is really going to quickly run out of room. Next week, Lord willing, adoption. And that's one of the most precious ones, by the way. And y'all can super relate to that word, but you should see how it takes place in your own life through the work of the Spirit is pretty remarkable. And then you come all the way to the point of justification. And by the way, you still haven't done anything yet. Okay? So there's a lot of remarkable things that are going on before you cry out as a baby that cry of new birth. So when we think about the gospel being shared, we think of your decision to repent and believe. But you do realize all this has taken place before you cry. It's just like a baby being born. Okay, if we were to draw out a timeline for that, we'd all have different words, but we'd hear the cry of the infant. But as parents, you know, oh, there's been so much going on in the last nine months. Child, you have no clue of what all it took to get you here. Okay. So in a similar thought, right, loose analogy, you can see the Lord doing so many things. And these two things were before time, election, predestination. This took place in time, but the moment that this takes place, a number of things that happen, and we're splitting hairs because you really can't put them on a timeline, even though people obsess about that. I don't obsess about these things. But there is a remarkable a whole lot of things that begin to take place. So this... Today we're going to look at the, this idea of regeneration. And by the way, I don't even like that word. Uh, that particular word, I think you probably like the word that I like too, and I'll get to that word in a minute. But this particular word, regeneration, is only used two times in the text. I don't think there's any need. I worked hard today trying to figure out how to pronounce that, and I got it a couple of times right, but I'm not going to try it again now. 
But you can see that this word in the Greek means a state of being renewed, a complete change of life, a rebirth. Okay? Again, it's used in Titus and Matthew. I want to look at both of those. Um, but to me, rebirth doesn't convey all that's taken place in regeneration. By the way, before we even get there, what word would you use? Huh? No, we're not there yet. What word would you use for being regenerated? Born again. The text does use that, and it uses that a lot. That's John's, one of John's favorite words. But when we speak about these things on that graph, I guess, that I drew up there, this is a theological word, even though it's only used twice in the text. Here's one of those ways. He saved us. Of course, we know who this is. And we know what He has done. He saved us not on what? Not on works. Travis worked hard on this Sunday night, right? It's just nothing you have done. And that's really hard for us to get past in our minds. But when He looked throughout time and space, what He saw in you was sin not the fact that you were going to be a good person or that you would choose Jesus or none of these things. It was not based on anything within you at all. And you've really got to preach that to yourself often because everything else in life is based on that, right? I know a lot about Matthew, right? And a lot of things that I know is one of the reasons he's such a good friend to me. But it's based on things that I know from the time that he was a teenager, right? That didn't work in salvation. Based on the things that God knows about us, it would never happen if he were like us, okay? So it's not based on anything inside of us, which we have done in righteousness, but it all is according to his character, if Rob was in here, his mercy by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Spirit. And so we can see here this word is when we are, I like, born again. But I want you to notice two words here, and we'll come back to these two words in just a minute. I want you to notice washing and Holy Spirit. And by the way, the washing and the Holy Spirit. Just hang on to that. Don't worry about that right now. But you see what God has done. You see the basis for what He has done, His mercy. And you see what's happened into our life, this rebirth or this regeneration. Again, if I could take you back to the pyramid, you're not even in the equation yet. Okay? This is solely based on the mercies of God. Here's the other place that this word is used in the scriptures. And, well, Cody, I'll ask you the context on this one. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Of course, he's speaking to the twelve disciples. But what context is that used here, Cody? This is a, one of Cody's favorite subjects, so I'm hoping he's going to get this. No. <laughs> Anybody? It is tough. That's why I don't like this word. Scripture doesn't use it a whole lot. The kingdom of God. Okay, so he uses this in the context of everything being regenerated. Every single thing. 
So when the Son of Man is seated on the throne, everything's going to be restored or regenerated or given new birth. Okay? All right, so let's get into Ganao. It's a long O. My thing moved on me. Uh, this is one of the most significant words that you find in the text. This is John's favorite word by far. It means to beget or to give birth or to bear. All of you parents have gnawed your kids. You beget a kid, okay? You gave birth to this child. All right, so when you see that, like I said, John grabs a hold of that word and he uses it a ton. 1 John 2.29, I think I've got six passages out of 1 John. If you know that God is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is beget, literally, I mean, we probably should just use it, not translate it born, but beget, beget of God. Now I want you to notice something about this word. Almost every single time, John wants you to know, who your father is. He doesn't just randomly throw it out there, you've been beget or you've been born or you, someone's given you birth. He always, almost always uses of God so that you will know who has done this. Now, a lot of people, when they get into this argument about, you know, Arminianism or Calvinism, and I watch people go through these stages and I've done it for years the Calvinist that all of a sudden gets converted, I've even noticed this in my own son-in-law, uh, he becomes what we refer to as cage stage. He's just super hard to handle. He wants to argue with everybody he meets about this, whether they want to talk about it or not, or even know what they're talking about. Almost invariably, the first place that they go, they go to this logical illustration of your new birth. And they ask the question, and I've heard him ask the question, arguing with people, what role did you play in your physical birth? Well, none. Duh. What role did you play in your spiritual birth? That's where it's like the first argument that pops into somebody that's making this conversion's mind, and they want to argue that. And it's a very legitimate argument. But you don't have to use it logically. You can use it grammatically, which I, I, I like to do, and it's always of him. You were born of God. You're his child. He's the one that brought you forth, okay? He's the one who beget you. And because God beget you, John makes a whole lot of arguments because everything is going to be different in your life. When you look at this one, someone who is born of God, what does he do? Practices righteousness. That one hurts a little bit. But you've got to understand, and you put all these things together, for instance, 1 John 3, 1, no one who is beget of God practices sin. So if you've been born of God, you practice righteousness. If you've been born of God, you don't practice sin. So how do you put both of those thoughts together and save all of us a whole lot of stressful anxiety? Jeremy, put both those thoughts together. What's the key word? Practice. Practice. So give us relief from those passages. If you're born of God, what? What's the pattern of your life? 
What are the patterns of your life if you're born of God? What's the pattern of your life if you're born of God in regard to righteousness? Christ growing, keep going. This is who you are consistently and more consistently becoming. It's not all the way. It's not all the time. And the reason it's not all the time is because you're sitting here breathing. When you die, it won't be a practice anymore. It will be completed and you'll never sin again. But when you put both of these passages together, and you need to be able to put both of these because there are some in the charismatic church who take 1 John 3, 9, and they say they don't sin anymore. You're like, are you kidding me? You've got to strike the balance of both of these passages. Sin is something in your life that you no longer ignore because you've been born of God. And so sin is something that you're constantly trying to put to death in your life. And by the same token, righteousness or doing what's right has become what you want to do in your life. And you won't fully do it until you're dead, but it's always going to be a pursuit in your life. And when you don't do what's right, you have the Holy Spirit who brings conviction. Why does all that happen? Because you've been born of God. What if that's not happening? You've not been born of God. If you practice sin and don't give a rip, You've not been born of God. That's not possible. If you don't pursue righteousness and you're not convicted for unright, you have not been born of God. It's really simple for John. It's not, it's not rocket science for John. If you've been born of God, these are the things that the Spirit of God does within your heart. Okay. Now, I got away from the truth of that, but I couldn't just leave those out there and pass over these passages. The key thought is you've been born of God. God beget you as a child. Okay? And by the way, who did Jesus say the father of the Pharisees was? The devil or Satan. See, you've only got one of two fathers. That's it. Either the devil's your father or God's your father in the text. And if God's your father, these are the things. Now you go on to 1 John 4, 7. It gets a little tougher. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. This one's really big, and it's also an equally difficult thing in our life to love each other like God loves. Travis got into this Sunday night. In fact, I'm going to get into this on Sunday morning, not this week, but the next week when we talk about the love of God. The love of God is selfless. And it's sacrificial. It has no concern for self, right? And so you watch these young couples. I've got a couple of young couples in my life. They, don't, they say they love one another. And I respect that. And I usually don't mess up their world. But it's a... Travis got into this the other night. It's an eros kind of love. It's a deep desire for one another. The love of God takes a lifetime. Unless, of course, you guys were just born on top of the game with your Christianity and you're just automatically selfless. I'm not there yet. I'm very selfish and I'm still learning to love my wife because I've been born of God and I have the selfless, sacrificial love of God. I mean, if you ask my wife, does he love you? She'd, you know, she'd be like, okay, which word are we going to use here? <laughs> if you're going to use the love of God, my wife will go, yeah, he's working on it. <laughs> But when you're young and you fall in love, 
that's not this kind of love. That is a tremendous, strong desire for one another, right? And then it gradually becomes the love of God. And it will become the love of God if you've been born again. If you have not been born again, you won't love people this way, okay? You just stop thinking about yourself. We've got a lot of work to do, right? All right, I've got to get moving. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. Back to Christ. In other words, anybody that denies that Jesus is the Christ is not born of God. They will not be in heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't confess Christ, there is no opportunity for you to be born of God. In other words, once you're born again, Jesus is your confession. Okay? 1 John 5, 4, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This one gets misused a lot, and I really get frustrated with this. It's, it's not meant to make you feel guilty for your sin struggles. But if, you've been, if you have been born of God, rest assured, one day it will not be a struggle. That may be the day that you die, but one day you will overcome. Okay. We know that no one is born of God sins, and that's in a present active. But he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. In other words, Christ keeps you and Satan can't touch you if you've been born of God. If you've not been born of God, Satan has you. You're still in bondage. Now, we move to the Gospel of John. And we're still on this word, ganao. 1 John 1, 10 through 13 Jesus was in the world, the world was made through Jesus, and the world did not know Jesus. He came to His own, the Jews, and those who were His own did not receive Him. In fact, they crucified Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but He was born of God. Okay. Those who receive Christ have been born of God. Same thought in 1 John. All right, before I go on to, I think, how many more of these? Okay, I got two more. This is the one that Nathan referred to, and this is why, rather than regeneration, I like this word, uh, born again. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be ganao, beget, again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So equally, if you're born of God, you're born of the Spirit. I realize you all know that. 
But you see how John grabs a hold of this word, and for them, for John, this is regeneration. This is conversion. And he just stacks this word up so many different times in his conversation with Jesus, or as John records Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, because he really wants us to understand what it means to come to Christ. This is, for us to reduce this down to a mere decision on your part is radically missing everything that God is doing. Okay? You must be born again. Unless you're born of God, you have no hope in God. This is one of the, this is one of the most significant parts in the whole of the New Testament, okay? And we could spend a whole lot of time here. But anybody remember, and this is the second time, so we saw this in Titus. What's the deal with water and the Spirit again? Y'all remember that passage back in Titus? By the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Spirit. Where's, where's John going with this? Anybody remember? Think about the gospel promise in the Old Testament. Hmm? No what? Mm -mm. Turn to Ezekiel 36. <laughs> Ezekiel 36, Jeremy Reed, 22 through 27. Wait till they get there. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 37. And I want you to notice who's doing all the actions in what Jeremy reads, okay? All right. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations, gather you from the countries, and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness, and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your cleanness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. And you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquity and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, 
declares the Lord God, let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded of your ways, O house of Israel. That's good. So when we talk about born again, what being born again, what role does the water play and what role does the spirit play? Water is cleansing and spirit is filling. Yeah, cleansing and filling. And so when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, unless one has been born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Who's doing the cleansing and who's doing the filling? The same one who gives us birth. It is all a work of God. Okay? Is that the significance of the miracle of Cana? The water pots being purification and the wine being the new covenant? Yeah. That's a great thought. I'll let, you, I'll let you work that out for us. I'll let you work that out for us. But you know, these, these things are not difficult. You just got to understand all that God has done, and you still yet made a profession of faith, right? A lot of people would argue me on that, but no, you have to be born again. All right? All right. So... John 3, 6 is real important. Um, there's a lot to be said there, but I think I'll leave it with you. It's pretty simple. It's John's very simplistic way of reducing things down to black or white. That which is born of the flesh is simply flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And I think John and Paul would have really got along well with each other, man. That's Romans right there, right? Uh, but I, it's just not difficult. It's really not difficult. If you've been born again, you're led by the Spirit of God. Paul saying Romans. All right, so this is Peter. Uh, he uses the same word, and he uses it in the same context. Uh, it begins in verse 1. Let me read all the way down through verse 3. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered about, you can see all these cities, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ, there's your Trinity that was at work in your salvation, and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I made that slide a little bit too big. But again, you see who's doing it, and you see the basis for why he has done it. It was based on the mercies of God. 1 Peter 1.22 Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been... Born again, not of the seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flowers. The grass wither, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was, sorry, preached to you. Now, God's the one who's done this. Through what means did he accomplish that? According to 1 Peter chapter 1. Yep. Which is the gospel. 
In other words, if we had our graph back, we could draw a little thing off to the side. That new birth happens through the preaching of the gospel when God calls you effectually. Now we, we can begin to tie some things together, right? So I make the general call every Sunday, but every now and then God makes the effectual call and you're born again when God calls. I always think about Lazarus coming out of the tomb, and I'll probably refer to that a lot in the weeks ahead, but that's the picture of it. I mean, he's dead. I asked a class one time, and I probably told you all this too. I'm getting so old, you know, you say things more than once. I asked a class one time what was Lazarus doing in the tomb because I was trying to make this point that he was dead. And a lady goes, he was praying? I was like, I try to be nice, but sometimes I can't help it. I was like, no, he wasn't praying. He's dead, right? And then Jesus calls him by name, and he comes walking out. I mean, that's the picture of salvation right there. God calls, and you're dead, and you hop up, and you come running, right? And you're born again. Uh, just two more words, I think, and they're not, they're not used a whole lot. Apakuo. Apakuo, I think, to give birth. James, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the gospel, the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. So you were born again according to the will of God, by the Word of God, right? And then, genomai, it means to become or to be created. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have, genomai, new things have been created. In other words, if you've been born again, you're a new creature, okay? All right, this word's fun, so y'all can say this under your breath if you want to. So this part is tizo, if that helps any, tizo, but you've got to start with a cuh sound. So it's literally a tizo, all right? It's used a couple of times in the text. It means created or to bring something into existence. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So those are most of your words that have the idea of being regenerated. But again, I don't like that word. I like the idea of being born again. God gave you birth or God gave birth to you. He brought you forth according to His will, through the preaching of the gospel. Now let me show you why this is going to be so significant for us in the weeks ahead. Turn to the book of Romans, chapter 6. Because we're about to turn the corner in February. We'll get back to this. But once we get to chapter 6, we're off and running with sanctification. And this idea of new birth is going to play a significant role for us to understand sanctification. 
So look at Romans 6. Let me read just a few passages beginning in verse 1. Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with Jesus through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, the basis for you walking in a way that is holy is simply this, because you've been born from He who is holy. That's it. It's up, it starts up here. And I was reflecting on this today, sitting on the couch, because I grew up doing battle with sin when it was driven by my emotions. You know, you go hear the youth speaker who's just high energy, trying to motivate all these teenagers to stop sinning and start living right. Music's a part of that scene. Emotional pleas and tears are a part of that scene. Making commitments, never ending, making commitments follow Jesus more closely, all that's tied to your emotions, but you got to understand the Apostle Paul tied it to here. He's like, let's think about this. When you came to Christ, you were united with Christ, okay? You're made one with Jesus, just like you got married to Jesus the day you came to faith. Well, every experience of Christ has now become your experience. So Jesus died, and He died for sin. And because you were united to Him in marriage, your sin nature has died and you've been set free. That's where he's going with this. You, the, hey, he unlocked the prison doors and he, and he took the door off the hinges. If you stay in there, you're staying in there according to your own will because God has delivered you. If Jesus set you free, you've been set free indeed. It's gone, right? So he died, therefore your sin nature has suffered that death too. And when Jesus was raised, you were raised to newness of life and Paul says, according to that, now walk in that newness of life. There's nothing to hold of you that you can't put down, let go, cut off, stop. Nothing. Because you've been born again. Now, yes, it's going to be a struggle, and yes, it's going to take some time, but this is the basis for us walking in holiness because you've been born from a God who is holy. You've been united. You're one. And Paul just wants you to realize this. Just think this way. And then he'll say on, consider yourselves, on, on Romans 6, he'll say, consider yourselves dead to sin. Just think that way. I'm dead to this. It no longer has power in my life. Okay? And all that's based on the new birth. All right, questions about this? I know 